just watching Initial Reaction, New Moon, The Movie. I'm Eve Franklin, and welcome to my studio of one as I attempt to share critical thinking for the entertained Christian solo. I'm on my own tonight because, along with a couple of girlfriends, I was privileged to attend a private sneak preview showing of New Moon, a full day before the public midnight preview showings. So please forgive me if I sound a bit sleep deprived. I think I got as much as three hours of sleep last night, but I have to say it was worth it. There aren't too many movies that are worth getting up at 12.30 a.m. to see. Well, needless to say, Daniel's not joining me on this one. He hasn't even seen the movie Twilight yet. And I hope that those of you who are listening have actually seen Twilight or read the book and I hope you have seen or read the book New Moon. The movie does, I will say, stick very close to the book. I was very happy to see that. I was actually quite thrilled at how close it stayed with the book because the book was good, and I um, was very impressed with how they condensed a very long book into two hours. Now, before I get too far in talking about the movie, I do want to remind all of my listeners that I have written some extensive blogs on the Twilight Saga by Stephanie Meyer, the actual books, and I actually have one more post planned. I have it drafted, and I apologize that I have not finished it and gotten it up on the website. I do plan to post it before the end of the year, Lord willing. I do hope that you've had a chance to peruse that, and I do hope that uh, you have read the books, because uh, as I firmly believe, if you're going to see a movie based on a novel, you should always read the books first. (laughs) Of course, I'm a hypocrite in saying that, because I did see the movie Twilight before I started reading the books, and I tell you, the build-up for New Moon was tremendous. I've been waiting for this movie since June, and I'm so happy that I have seen it now. Now, Chris Jones, our guest host this summer... Uh, and I had contemplated doing an episode or two on the movie Twilight. We never got around to it, unfortunately. So we're skipping ahead to New Moon, and this will probably be the only episode we do on it. So I hope that I cover it sufficiently uh, between the blogs that I've already done on the books and on this short monologue. Now, I must warn you, this podcast will contain spoilers. I uh, am so familiar with the material now that I probably will even get the book mixed together with the movie as I talk, so I ask your forgiveness in doing that. Now, New Moon starts with uh, Bella's birthday, which is the most horrible of days for a woman. It's worse for Bella because she happens to be in love with a vampire who became a vampire at age 17, and she is on her 18th birthday. She's convinced that she is going to age in front of him and not be worthy of him anymore. Dealing with the topic of age from a biblical point of view, we do know that that is appointed for men to die once and then to have a judgment. That's uh, Hebrews 9.27. We do know that Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden were cursed with death because of sin, and they were driven out of the Garden of Eden to prevent them from eating of the tree of life, which would have given them an eternal life. I think that was a mercy on God's part because if he had not driven them out of the garden after they had sinned and they had gotten hold of the fruit of life, uh, they would have been eternally damned with their sin. Well, the concept of damnation, obviously, when you're uh, talking about vampires, that's a topic that is going to come up. And it comes up right away in this movie because there is a scene where Carlisle and Bella have a, in the movie, short discussion regarding the soul and 
Carlyle's uh, sense of being damned. The uh, conversation was much longer in the book, and I actually deal with that extensively in my blog post, so if you haven't read that, I strongly encourage you to go back and read uh, what I had to say about that in, I think it was actually two separate posts, and I will put links to those in the show notes. Now, Carlyle, uh, Bella asked Carlyle why he can stand helping people with all the blood because most vampires, when they smell blood, they instantly go into a feeding frenzy. And Carlisle is the only one who can, he's actually a doctor. He treats people in emergency rooms all the time. He doesn't have a problem with blood. And he responds, of course, that it is, it has taken him years and years of practice. And Bella's response is, why bother? And he responds that he enjoys helping people regardless of how that impacts his damnation. And Bella's response to that is, oh, no, Carlisle, you, you too good. You're, you, you, there's no way you could possibly be damned. And it, it kind of a reminder when you look at that from a biblical perspective that there's really no one that's truly good in our world. We may have people who behave in good manner. They might have the ability to uh, be very moral in their behavior and very kind and compassionate, but there's always in some way, shape, or form, some way that they have broken the moral code that would would um, make them eligible uh, for heaven. It, in uh, James, or in Luke 18, 19, uh, Jesus said, uh, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. So, by the standards of the Bible, there is only one who is good, and that is God. And if we compare ourselves to God, we can never be good enough. In James uh, two ten through 13, it says, For who is, whoever shall keep the whole law, and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak, and so do, as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. And then it goes on to say, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, I, I went ahead and continued and said that passage because there is actually a section in New Moon near the end of the movie that has to deal with justice and judgment. And that is in the embodiment of the Volturi, who are the, vo the vampire royalty. And they don't give second chances. If you break the vampire law then that's it for you. And, of course, in, in the context of this movie, the only law that matters is that you uh, protect the anonymity of vampires from humans. They're, the humans are not supposed to know the vampires exist. And the Volturi are ruthless in taking down any vampire who uh, exposes vampires to people. And their, ju their justice is absolute, and they don't give second chances. And it, it's... Uh, just an interesting juxtaposition on just the human need for a moral code and, and laws to follow. And the fact that even in God's eyes, there really is no second chance. If you have in, at one point in your life ever broken the ten, just the Ten Commandments, um, which are just the, the basic level of, of um, the moral behavior in God's eyes, then, then you're already damned. There's no amount of good you can do to make up for just one tiny infraction. You've, you've lost it all. That you, there are no second chances. 
And that's why it is such an incredible blessing that God has given us his grace and salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ, that he has paid our debt, because we can't, we, we can't do it without him. Now, another concept that comes up in the movie is the concept of the human soul. Now, Edward will not uh, change Bella into a vampire, even though she desperately wants it, because he is concerned about her soul. And Carlyle kind of turns that back on Bella um, by saying, well, you know, if it were Edward's soul on the line, would you do it? And she doesn't think that Edward's soul is on the line, but Edward does believe so. He believes he's lost his soul, and so he doesn't want to damn uh, Bella as well. Now, there's a line in the movie um, that I don't believe is actually in the book. I don't recall ever reading it in the book. During Edward's goodbye scene, um, Bella says, If you're worried about my soul, I don't want it without you. Now, to me, the soul and the spirit of humanity is what defines who we are. And I don't, I can't really picture a an eternal existence without your soul. If If vampires do exist eternally, then I would assume that their soul is part of that eternal damnation because they uh, can't exist without a soul. They can't be thinking beings without a soul. Now, of course, I, I'm not saying vampires really do exist. This is fantasy. But if you're talking about the state of the soul, you have to uh, take into account that uh, the soul is, is who we are. We're, the bodies are just tense. They really have uh, no physical uh, existence beyond our finite life and after that our eternal soul goes on and on and on and on and so if if the vampires existing physically uh, for eternity their soul must be trapped in that physical state as well so I, I don't believe that in the context of these books the vampires are soulless they are living with a sinful fallen soul uh, and they are stuck with it until they are destroyed what happens to that soul after is probably the same discussion as what happens to the soul after anyone dies. And that is kind of the the, the point of uh, what Jesus is talking about in Matthew sixteen twenty six and also in Mark eight thirty six. Uh He says, For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? It's an interesting question because that's exactly what Bella was saying. I don't want my soul without you. It, my soul has no worth whatsoever if I can't be with the person that I love. I think that's probably the message in the Twilight books that bothers me the most. When we are talking about an audience of young girls who are are looking at the world for their perfect man and wanting to um, have that perfect love, that romance that just defines their existence and makes them happy forever and it's something that will always let them down because love in a human frail physical state is never going to fulfill you that much it's never going to make up for the loss of a soul because the soul is so much more important it's your eternal existence it's who you are uh, before God and you should never put a relationship that can put you right with God. You should never put a relationship with fallible man uh, before that relationship with God because he's the only one that can truly fulfill you. He's the only one that won't let you down. And in fact, that's also a theme of this movie because there are two people who let Bella down 
in this movie. The first person that lets Bella down is Edward. Now, if the end of Twilight, Edward had promised that he would never leave Bella unless she sent him away. And yet in New Moon, he makes the decision that she'd be better off without him, and so he leaves her. And that's kind of what sets up the whole movie, because the whole movie is about her trying to survive without him. And it would be interesting to know what happens to Edward during this all this time, because he's so miserable without her that I, I think it would probably even make uh, hermit misery look very little in comparison. But this is from Bella's point of view. We see her trying to survive and live without Edward, who has she has wrapped her whole her whole being around her love for him, and without him, uh, she's just empty. And then she uh, develops a friendship with Jacob Black. And he promises her in the movie that he will never hurt her the way Edward has. And then, ironically enough, the next day, he uh, starts spurning her and she doesn't know why. Now, for those of you who have read the book or seen the movie, you know that Jacob has become a werewolf at this point and he's not allowed to talk to Bella about it. And it's a secret that since he can't share with her and it so defines who he is, he's just having to stay away from her. But it hurts Bella because she has switched, she has transferred a great deal of her dependence on Edward to Jacob. And now that he's no longer there um, to be with her and to keep her sane in the absence of Edward, uh, she is falling apart again. Now, I think that this is a good representation of why people should not put fallible people, give them such importance in their lives. In Psalm 118.8, it says, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. And in Proverbs 25.19, it says, Confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a bad tooth and a foot out of joint. Now, that's a great deal of pain, and we actually see Bella in a great deal of pain in this movie, and, and it's <laughs> it's actually a kind of sobering part of the movie. You just sit there and, and you wonder what, what that pain can be like. But that's what we set ourselves up for. When we put our hope and our love and everything that we are, if we... When we, if we invest ourselves in people, our people are always going to fail us. And we, we need to invest that better part of ourself, that, that faith and that devotion to someone who can't fail us, and that's God. Now, I, I know that there's a whole lot more in this movie that I could talk about, and I, I do want to say that the movie is wonderful, and for, it's really hard not to go all fangirl crazy and just gush about the incredibleness of this movie. But I'm going to keep it short. I don't know you guys don't want to sit here and listen to me ramble on and on. But I do pray that you will go into this movie if you haven't already seen it or if you're going to go see it again because I have a feeling a lot of you who have will see it will probably see it more than once. That you do take just a, a break from the fandom to just really approach the movie critically and think about it from a Christian perspective and think about how this applies to scripture and use it as an opportunity to look for where your true relationship should be in Christ and in relying on God to fulfill you and to to fill that hole in your soul that nothing else in this world can truly fill. If this is your first introduction to Are You Just Watching, I do hope that you note that our episodes are not usually monologues and that I'm usually joined by my co-host, Daniel Lewis. We have a lot of wonderful episodes on other movies that you can check out. 
uh, in our archives. And we also have two episodes coming up on the movie Sixth Sense, so please keep an eye out for those. You can find the show notes for this episode at areyoujustwatching.com slash podcast slash newmoon hyphen ir. While you're on our website, we do hope that you will, first of all, subscribe to our podcast and also click on our CleanCast button that you'll see right there on the page and vote for our podcast, The Clean Class. Clean Cast Network. You can also join our page on Facebook and support us by just joining because your friends will see that you're joining us and they'll want to know who we are and, and investigate. You can also support us by doing your Christmas shopping through our Amazon.com affiliate link. It's a great time to do that. So just go to areyoujustwatching.com slash Amazon and we will get a percentage of your total sale price. It's a great way you can help support us without it costing you anything. You can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com Eve Franklin, and my co-host is twitter.com the ramen noodle. And you can send feedback to us at areyoujustwatching.com or call our listener line 859-353-4332. You can also leave comments in our show notes. Well, thanks for listening. And don't just watch. Are You Just Watching? is produced and sponsored by D. Joseph Design at djosephdesign.com. The opening vocal talent is thanks to Mariah. Our theme song is used courtesy of Answers in Genesis from their exciting Vacation Bible School curriculum, Operation Space, which you can find at AnswersVBS.com. Find more great, clean podcasts like this one at cleancasts.com. <laughs>